fate of men is over. The time of the Orc has come. Hello, this is Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. But first, why are we the Bloopcast? Yes! <laughs> okay, if that didn't give it away, today we are concluding the Bloopcast look at the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We are talking about the final film in the trilogy, The Return of the King. So yeah, if you've not listened to our previous two episodes on on them, so we've got this one in 2021, then one in 2022, you can go back and listen to those before getting into this one. Uh, but this is going to be an interesting one because it's Joe's first time talking about Lord of the Rings, and he's <laughs> only watched these films for the first time very recently. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yesterday, for example. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, no it, was the, it was the day before yeah. yesterday I finished Return of the King. I watched the other two in Amazing. preparation as well. You've been a real trooper. You've 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 gone through all of them, as as someone who, you, you know, is I I would say I guess fairly ambivalent towards fantasy. Is that fair? Uh, I, I I prefer uh, <laughs> uh, space wash laser kapow kind of settings to <laughs> to like uh, grassy fields in England, but. <laughs> oh good no that that's good because yeah i think lord of the rings you know it it it's i don't I, i'm not gonna say it's an acquired taste i think it is something that universally a lot of people do really love it's a but, taste um, that a lot of people have acquired <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah some of the so biggest it, it's not films an, ever <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's it's not like... Uh, but what I think I'm meaning is more just like fantasy is usually, you know, a, a fairly nerdy thing. You know, Dungeons and Dragons, that sort of thing. It's all fairly nerdy, uh, World mm. of Warcraft. Whereas Lord of the Rings is kind of the thing that broke into the mainstream, both when the original books were released and then when the films were made in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, they, they took the world by storm. Uh, in in both cases, you know, like if you yeah, but like if you yeah. I'll, although I will say, thing in the kind of like the eighties and nineties and stuff, like the Lord of the Rings stuff is kind of more of, I guess, a niche. Yeah, at the yeah, time, it was until the films came out. But I guess it it, it, it it was a niche thing, like people talking about it. But the books were successful. Like people, you know, people knew Lord of the Rings, and they knew they mm. people generally knew what a Hobbit was. You know, stuff there, like that. They, it per- permeated the culture. I remember there being a joke in... <laughs> oh, God, awful reference. I remember there being a joke in Friends where um, <laughs> Ross, Ross asked Joey if he if he ever read Lord of the Rings in high school. And Joey said, no, I had sex in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, well, exactly. Uh, there's a very good... Um, I'll find the quote actually because that that kind of relates to it is uh, a guy called John Rogers apparently anyway there are two novels that can change a bookish 14 year old's life the Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged one is a childish fantasy that often engenders a lifelong obsession with its unbelievable heroes leading to an emotionally stunted 
uh, socially crippled adulthood, unable to deal with the real world. The other, of course, involves orcs. So, yeah. <laughs> It's a, very, yeah, it's a, a nice little takedown of uh, both Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> so before me and you can kind of talk about our history with like Return of the King, as we've kind of already discussed, like I'll, I'll talk um, how he kind of got into Lord of the Rings before. I'm interested in Joe's history with Lord of the Rings <laughs> as someone who's kind of only watched these films like in the past couple of days. Hey, okay, so that... I've, I've not watched them properly until the last couple of days. Um, I watched Fellowship of the Ring when I was quite young on a VHS copy, but I think I was a bit young for it and it just kind of bored me to tears. <laughs> uh, it, it was the extended edition and I must have been about six years old, so right, right. It, wasn't, it wasn't for me at the yeah, time. I mean, I mean, that's fair because I remember my sister, um, I think... Because we both, me and my, me and my sister, we were big into kind of fancy. So we both got into Harry Potter around the same time. Mm. Mm. I wasn't. Then that, we got into, I got into Lord of the yeah. Rings, but she was a bit too. Yeah, but yeah, but my sister was too young to see Fellowship in the cinema. But then I think when we watched it on DVD, um, she got bored when we were watching it and um, just walked out and did something else. So mm. yeah, I can't, I can't fully get that. That's interesting though. Why, that was the why theatrical would... version, not the extended. But... Yeah, but why why would Harry Potter like interest? Uh, I guess because it involves children, you know, something like that. Whereas Lord it's of the Rings, it's all a bunch of adults. To more as well. It, it's Harry, yeah, Harry yeah. Potter is very. Uh, it, it it's like the most it, it's the most. I was going to say it's the most boring thing you could do with like a fantasy world is set in, <laughs> in like a school. <laughs> but, yeah, but no, it, but no, it's I... it's good for kids because <laughs> kids can understand what's happening yeah, like they, it, it gives it a framework for the, them to understand the world whereas whereas lord of the rings is like just all-encompassing like you know it's just a whole other world full of weird creatures from start to finish yeah and and like and and i think that both the book and the film do a good job of kind of easing you into it. i talked about this before about how um it starts off with kind of recognizable stuff like the fact that Gandalf looks a bit like Merlin, the mm. Nazgul look like Grim Reapers, you know, things that we can look at and go, okay, I, I can see what the story's doing. Y and then can... later on, it just goes insane. <laughs> Anyone who's ever like walked, walked mm. through a small village in England and seen the locals kind of eyeing you up can uh, understand <laughs> can understand the Shire at the start of the film like my yeah. my favourite Hobbit is the one who shows up uh, at the start of Fellowship and the end of Return of the King who just like gives this really dirty look to whoever's walking past <laughs> he's a grumpy old man he's the best he's not that much of an old curmudgeon which is a, a nice little touch that he, he you know, he's, he's putting on a front for his wife yeah yeah, but uh, but I do like that. Um, yeah, when when the the hobbits arrive at the end of this film, you know they're all in their like gear from Gondor and Rohan, and and they're just like looking at them disapprovingly. Ah, uh, they've gone native. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of you know, <laughs> they they've they've gone on holiday Gosh. and now they've come back with they, their weird. They've like, brought back their foreign ways. ways. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I did also see um, Two Towers, also extended a, a good few okay, years wow. ago now, but I was quite drunk. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen any of Return of the King. So you never had, like... I don't know, you were never exposed to, like, the Hobbit book as a kid or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so. I, wow. It just completely yeah. passed me by, but, apart from those, like, yeah. two little, yeah. little I, things. Although... Oh, no, I saw, I saw, oh, the, actually, I saw Joe, the first Hobbit film. I don't Hobbit know if film. you guys remember this, but... I saw the first Hobbit film. Yeah, that, we, that, that, we all saw it together. We, we saw it together in the cinema. And went... Yeah, that was a long time ago now, wasn't it? That, that, that's and, very funny. And yeah, t- yeah. Until this month, uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> it was the most sober I've been watching. <laughs> the most sober and most <laughs> adult I've been watching Lord of the Rings film. <laughs> wow. And it was o- the okay. Hobbit, the Hobbit, everyone. The first one was yeah. okay. It's I've, a, I've heard the others were awful, a, and I didn't bother. The Hobbit films, uh, anyway. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not as bad about the Hobbit films as a, yeah, a lot of people are, but but they're they're definitely not great. You know. Uh, yeah, I'm um, forgiving. I'm somewhat forgiving, but given the uh, the whole behind the scenes nonsense and everything, but not so good yeah. because I'm. Um, as say Alien Three, having the right. same kind of nonsense. Sure, I I just wanted to say because I I have been reading I've been, I've been kind of immersing myself in like loads of Lord of the Rings stuff. As I, I was telling you guys, I I watched the animated film from 1980, uh, but I also um I listened <laughs> over I, I I finished off the radio adaptation. Yep, where there's a whip, um, there's a way, and um. Which is, it, it's been great. And, and one of the interesting things is it makes you realize how many quotes from the Peter Jackson films are from the original books. Like, a lot of it is rewritten or, you know, there's there's new dialogue. Mm. But a lot of it is the original, like, dialogue from, from the books. And, and you hear it in the radio adaptation and you hear, you know, and you hear it when you're listening. I was listening to the... Um, uh, uh, Andy Serkis uh, audiobook uh, reading of Fellowship of the Ring as well and, and you, you realise wow so much of it actually does make it into the film and then I, I go on like online and I go onto like Reddit and other websites and you just see like people going oh and this scene was absolutely butchered in the Peter Jackson version and I go what? <laughs> oh, I think I heard one of like I I thought I heard kidding? Tolkien's son wasn't keen on the films. Yeah, uh, I it and I I, I yeah he's I, a he's a bit of a miserable git anyway. <laughs> I I understand like if you're not there, there's certain action scenes that I can totally see Tolkien fans kind of rolling their eyes at, but like. There's so much that oh, like the Legolas other... sliding down the yeah, <laughs> stairs. Yeah, which, wait, is that not which in the book? is silly. Uh, that's actually a really no, well described not scene by Tolkien. No, um... <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what is in the book, Joe? Is the competition between Legolas and Gimli, where they're counting <laughs> out how many orcs they kill. That is in the book. So again, like Tolkien had a sense of humor. And um, and I feel like a lot of Tolkien fans just completely miss that, or that, or they get really kind of annoyed about like really small details. I don't know. I was just like Denifor, who's the you know the father of um, Boromir and Faramir, uh, and he's you know the steward of Gondor. Like so much of his dialogue is directly from the books in this film, 
like you know you you, you think you are wise Mifirandir, but um but you come here too late you know there, there's lines in it and i was listening going wow this is great it's actually adapting the book really well and then and then you go online and they, and you just see people going like oh the movie's ruined it and i'm like <laughs> okay and that, that's why i'm kind of saying it in relation to the the hobbit because obviously the hobbit is an example where you could say like it probably did ruin it but <laughs> it's fine the books still exist guys it's okay <laughs> just ignore the things fine. you don't like it's fine yeah like, n- yeah nerd like, culture and yeah. snap culture just gets yeah, way exactly. too into this like circle yeah. jerk of hating things just if you don't like something just ignore it it's fine oh yeah well anyway so, we should talk about return so, yeah, of the king and me, yeah and the fa- return of the yeah. king yeah <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was um, probably the movie out of the trilogy I was most excited for out of the other mm. two. So obviously, I was really excited for Two Towers when that came out, but then obviously, but that was what not being as fan. I was like, oh, really excited for the next movie, and mm. um, I think my excitement for it started to kick in when I got the DVD for the Two Towers and this, the extra features disc had a sneak mm. preview of Return of the King, which spoke about like some of the things that happened in the movie, like Peter Jackson was talking about, like oh, Frodo is going to meet a giant spider, and oh and yeah. um, Sauron's going to think that Pippin has the ring and, mm. and there was also a preview for the video game which is exciting as I loved the PS2 game with the two towers and it's like oh there's going to be another one and if you can play as Frodo, Sam and Gandalf as well I was like, yeah. oh, that's exciting and yeah I remember around the time the movie was coming up there was a KFC kids meal tie-in <laughs> which came with like toys you got and I remember going to KFC especially to get Lord of the Rings toys <laughs> And Amazing. I think they had plenty of stock of them all because uh, because you could just go up to the counter and tell them which ones you wanted. I think I probably have like six uh, Frodo's because I did not get to choose which ones I got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or something, you know, like when you went to like a McDonald's <laughs> or whatever and you got like the toy and the thing, I think I just ended up with like the same. I, I remember it being a Hobbit. I can't remember which one. So I probably, yeah, got like three Pippins or something, you know. <laughs> The time has come for the final duel. See Legolas do battle with the wicked orc, Frodo face to face with the cunning golem, and Gandalf take on the evil saddle man. Collect one dueling pair free with every KFC kids meal, and let the final battle for Middle Earth begin. I saw the movie a couple of days after Christmas 2003, which was around the 28th, 29th. I think I remember it. I wasn't expecting to see it that day, and then my dad was like, Hey, do you want to go and see Return of the King? I was like, yeah, of course I am. I'm very excited to see this. And I think it was like, uh, I think my dad had vouchers, so he took me to see Return of the King that day, then he took me and my whole family the next day to see some live-action Peter Pan movie with Jason Isaacs as oh, yeah. Captain Hook that no one remembers. I remember it. I, I saw that. Oh, someone does remember <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. Um, I looked no, up recently, apparently it bombed critic. Um, not, not, not critic, but commercially it bombed because it came out around the same time as Return of the King. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, a fantasy film trying to compete. Wasn't it just called Peter Pan? It, it was just called Peter Pan. Yeah, it was yeah. just a fairly fairly straight adaptation, I think. Um, so that's a shame. It's a shame that, yeah, they didn't seem to think, hmm, maybe we shouldn't try and compete <laughs> with the the big sequel to a successful fantasy franchise. I don't know. Finale, not just a sequel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so like the one that everyone's going to see if, if yeah. they've been seeing the previous ones, you know. And the movie, I think when it came out, it was, um, I think it when it, it peaked at like the second highest grossing movie of all time at the time, it was like second behind Titanic. Wow, yeah. 
Yeah, and then of course it did incredibly well Oscars-wise. I think it got 13 Oscars? Like, it, it completely swept them, and I think it was they... nominated. I think it was... Yeah, it got every single Oscar it was nominated for. Yeah. That's yeah, one of the more was... one of the more um, successful Oscar-winning films, right? In terms of just, like, the yeah. sheer number it won. There can't be many yeah. that won that many. No, it, it's it's definitely a big, a pretty big moment for film in general, not just you know, uh, not just for fantasy films or for uh, Oscar films, but yeah, just just for uh, yeah, it was a it was a big moment, especially given like Peter Jackson's early films, which are like stuff like <laughs> great movies like Brain Dead and um, what's the other one, Bad Taste, which is just Bad Taste is literally just a bunch of mates having the best time making a movie about yeah. aliens trying to kill people and cook them. I suppose you're wondering why you're soaking in Reggie delivered secret herbs and spaces. Tomorrow we're having you for lunch. Yeah, but that's but that's the thing is that the Oscars famously despise genre films. Like they they just absolutely hate uh, horror, sci-fi. Yeah, anything that like. Like why? Why isn't um, bad taste up for Oscars? It's amazing. Like it's a great film, and it stands up today. It's insane. But it's low budget, and it's yeah, and it's a gory, bloodfest, violent horror film. So of course it wouldn't be an Oscar film. You know what I mean? It's like why? Why not? Like why can't it compete? And um, and that, and that's that's the kind of the inherent snobbery of, of Oscar films to the, to the point that people won't even consider like a film like Bad Taste. Um, so getting, it, 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 it was a bit more varied though, right? Like in recent years, like Parasite and uh, uh, yeah, everything ever all yeah. at once, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that, I mean, that's 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 steps in the right direction. They're like I know, but but that's like they're very much still exceptions to the rule oh, rather yeah. I'm not, than I'm not saying rule. like um, I'm not saying everything's mm. fixed I'm just saying like steps in the right direction yeah. recently yeah no no of course and of, and of yeah, course but, that's my point is that lord of the yeah. rings and return of the king specifically was a kind of a big break from the usual rule and it was incredible that yeah this guy who started out in splatter punk horror films uh, goes on to adapt, you know, quite popular uh, fantasy books, but fantasy stories nonetheless, and uh, and then manages to kind of sweep everything critically and commercially. You know, it was a, it was a huge uh, huge moment. And the Oscar goes to. It's a clean sweep. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Barry M. Osborne, Peter Jackson, and Fran Walls producers. This is the 11th Academy Award win tonight for The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Tying the record for most wins with the films Titanic and Ben-Hur.
So I'm just waiting for Fran to get her Oscar. There we go. <laughs> oh, this is just unbelievable. And I'm so honored, touched, and relieved that the Academy and the members of the Academy that have supported us have, have seen past the trolls and the wizards and the hobbits and are recognizing fantasy this year. Fantasy is an F word that hopefully the five second delay won't do anything with. <laughs> um, I just want to say a very few quick words, uh, especially to the people of New Zealand and the government of New Zealand and the city councils and everybody who's supported us the length, the length and breadth of the country. Billy Crystal's welcome to come and make a film in New Zealand anytime he wants. <laughs> a special thanks to Peter Nelson and Ken Cammons, who were with me right from the days of Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles, which were, which were wisely overlooked by the Academy. But you're going back to my story so a big part of my experience with return of the king was as well as the movie the ps2 game which i've i've played to death and i I've, I've played it again recently for the podcast and i'll go back to more later but like to this day it's still one of my favorite video game tie-ins hmm. and like growing up return of the king was my favorite of the trilogy like i did i think i briefly had a tradition where i'd watch it every christmas eve <laughs> i did oh, that yeah. for a couple of years i think Nowadays, I think Fellowship's shifted to my favourite, but that's only because um, I think Returns are very close second, but there's a couple of things that are mainly nitpicks that I feel <laughs> kind of drop Return of the King down a little bit, which I'll kind of touch okay. upon when we get to them. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely remember seeing Return of the King at the cinema. Um, I... I've mentioned this before, but yeah, my, my dad, well, and, and, and my mum liked Lord of the Rings as well, but my dad has, has always been a big uh, Lord of the Rings fan, and, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, words, and yeah, and uh, so I definitely knew the story, I definitely must have seen the previous films, because I remember seeing the beginning of Return of the King in the cinema, and being very confused, because... The first scene, of course, is actually with Deagle and Smeagol when uh, Smeagol, well, when Deagle mm. finds the ring in the river, and I was very confused because I was probably like eight or nine at this point, and and yeah, I was thinking like, who who's this? Who are these people? And uh, but then, of course, the ring appears, and I was like, oh, okay, and and then I think I it clocked that one of them was Gollum. You know, and then, uh, and then, of course, they do show the transition from him being Smeagol to Gollum, and and there's that kind of horrible transformation. That's a really cool uh, which sequence, which is great. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. kind of shows the physical. Yeah, I've got a whole paragraph about that scene later on. Oh, it really cool. shows the danger uh, that Frodo's yeah. in, doesn't it? Like, uh, yeah, well, and seeing how instantly uh, Smeagol turned on his mate. Yeah, and, and that, like, well, that how was always. Up he got. Yeah, but that was always the difference between Bilbo and Smeagol, was that when Smeagol got the ring, he got it through murder. He, you know, he killed his friend for it, whereas Bilbo just picked it up, and he could have killed Gollum when he had the chance, but then he didn't, and that's what Gandalf says, it was pity that stayed his hand, and, and you know, and that, that was what prevented Bilbo from turning into the monster. Anyway, sorry. Uh, to get back to me, um, and what was I talking about? Yeah, so I saw the film, and I really enjoyed it, and then, yeah, I was a bit like Rob in that we had the DVDs, and we had the extended editions as well, and I definitely watched Return of the King the most, 
uh, out of all of them as a kid because because I was just so in love with like the battles and uh, the yeah the 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 siege of Minas Tirith and the Battle of the Pelennor Fields was just phenomenal. I always remember the uh, the catapult scene uh, when they're like launching rocks at one another. I don't know that just that tickled my brain as a as a kid. Uh, I, I guess I just love I loved battle scenes as a kid, and th and this was one of the most successful recreations of that. But I too had uh, the Return of the King video game on the PlayStation Two, and I played through it, and it was probably the first game ever that I managed to get past a spider level, <laughs> and was able to like get past that <laughs> because. Um, Spiders in video games used to terrify me, and um, and you know, of course, well, you guys know I'm a big Resident Evil nut, and there's plenty of spiders in those. So it was <laughs> definitely the Return of the King PS2 game that conquered my fear of video game spiders. Um, uh, Joe, you know the spider things, the skull spiders in uh, Ocarina of Time. Oh yeah, yeah, the sculptures. Yeah, they're. Yeah, those, those scared the hell out of me to this day. Uh, but they definitely scared me a lot as a kid. Um, I think I it's the, the the janky movement that you have in that game yeah. makes them really uh, dangerous as well. They mm -hmm. they can just suddenly swing down on you, and you're kind of too slow and cumbersome to get out the way. Yeah, yeah. But um, but there's a whole thing in the uh, the Return of the King game where you play as Sam uh, in Shelob the Spider's lair. And uh, and I think there's like loads of little spiders oh, yeah, as great well. Level, that one. Yeah, and but it, it scared the hell yes. out of me as a kid. But um, oh, but yeah, it was great. Yeah, when you're fighting um, Shelob in that level, there's bits of the little spiders come down and you kill them. And then when Shelob comes back down, the same Sam says something like, "I squashed your children, and now I'm gonna get you." That's <laughs> <laughs> messed up, dude. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> I squished your children. And I aim to get you too. Yeah, um, Shelob's children, they all turn up in The Hobbit, but they don't, you don't see any of them in the caves themselves, which is weird. Um, because they kind of... Isn't that what's teased? Is that it was Shelob who was the, the mother of all spiders or something like that? Or is that... I don't know. I don't know. That, that's, that's going into the lore. I'm sure some Tolkien nerd will say it's something else. But, uh... uh. In the Middle Earth game, she turns into a sexy lady. Okay. <laughs> I have heard this, yeah. Yeah, do you think that was because of the spider lady in Dark Souls? Where she's like half spider, half naked chick? I get the feeling it was because of that. <laughs> First thing that came to mind for me as well. She's, yeah. not, she's not even got spider legs, she's just a lady. She's just a lady. Yeah, she's I'm just, just hanging I'm just out. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, she's not even like an eight-legged lady. She's just a lady. It's very strange. That's so lame. Um, at, at least for Dark Souls, it's like, well, you know, she's a spider with a lady on it, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. So I think uh, I had the Warhammer as well. I I think I've probably mentioned that in previous episodes. But yeah, I had the mm -hmm. Warhammer of. Uh, of uh, uh, Lord of the Rings as well, and I enjoyed I enjoyed painting those and, and using those. I got the Lego. I'm sure I've got Lego of uh, of Gollum somewhere, and uh, some of the other characters. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, I've, I've always been a big fan of Lord of the Rings in general, but uh, yeah, no, Return of the King, when I was a kid, was was probably my favourite, and as, as the years have gone by, I've said that, like, I, I think my favourite will always still be Two Towers and uh, Fellowship of the Ring is like the, probably the one I say is the most successful film of, of the three, but, but Return of the King, I, I you know, it, it's a great finale, then, and there's so much to say about it like exactly, there's yeah. so there's so much going on actually like when you actually realize and then you think that the book had even more stuff that they had to cut from the film and you think wow yeah <laughs> oh yeah we'll get into all that later but i want to yeah. go to the start of the movie we've we touched upon this about the start with smeagol slash Gollum's origin i think it's a great yeah. place to start like um I think as we're edging closer to Mordor and the Ring, is taking more of a mm. hold over Frodo. It works to remind us as the viewer of how quickly the Ring corrupts those who possess it, and it foreshadows what could potentially happen to Frodo should his quest fail. I think that's mm. why Gandalf can trust Frodo with the Ring, because like the worst case scenario, if he gets the Ring and runs off of it, he's just going to become another Gollum. Whereas if Gandalf yeah. gets the Ring, he becomes like a potentially even worse than Sauron himself. I think the interesting thing about this scene is it was a holdover from the two towers. Like, mm. originally it was going to be in the Dead Marshes when um, Frodo calls Gollum Smeagol. It's going to cut to a flashback. But I think due to time, they cut it from the theatrical cut and they intended to move it to the extended edition. Then I think they were playing around with the movie during the editing of Return of the King. They And Peter Jackson suggested seeing what it was like putting that scene at the start of the movie. And it fit like a glove, so they stuck with it. Yeah, well, that, that that's the, the right joy call, of these. Definitely. Yeah, it's the joy of these films all being made like, kind of concurrently, or you know, they they kind of kind of filmed the war together, didn't they? It's like, you know, it was like a just a massive yeah, five year project. Yeah, they filmed them all simultaneously for like a year yeah. or so. Yeah, so they all kidnapped all of these actors and took them to New Zealand. <laughs> you know, it was just a very intensive process, and and yeah, no, they they did a great job just because they had that freedom of, oh, we filmed the scene of Smeagol and Deagol. Um We can put it in wherever we want, you know? And, and like, famously, Shelob and the spider, that, that all happens in the Two Towers book. So, again, they'll have just realised, okay... Yes, uh, yes. It would, it would work better for the film if Shelob is in the third film, you know? They felt cutting between Shelob and Helm's Deep wouldn't work and also they wanted to stick to Tolkien's timeline where Frodo went into Shelob's lair around the same time as the invasion of Minas Tirith was happening. Right, yeah, so they, they just tried to keep it like actually timed with the events that were going on, yeah. So, yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. Because of course I guess the problem the problem for the book is that like, you know, with, with Frodo and Sam not much actually happens. Like they, they, they run into Faramir and then they they get to Shelob, and then they get to the the volcano, and that and that's uh, just about it, really. Um, so yeah, you do have to kind of draw it out a bit 
uh, or, or stretch it out over the course of mm. the two films because yeah. otherwise it's just like oh what are they doing for so long it's a strange way to lay out the story what they did with what what Tolkien did with the book isn't it like split, splitting yeah. them in halves and having them follow the different characters like that instead of just having like a chapter about Frodo and then cha- a chapter about uh, Aragorn and everyone else I don't really understand the thinking behind that it may have just been like a flow issue because I think I think the books flow very well mm-hmm. and I, I think he may have been concerned that yeah. if, if if it does cut back and forth yeah. it might not it, you know I don't know maybe he maybe he had a similar editing process thing where he said eh, nah having it cut from Aragorn to Frodo or whatever doesn't really work in the book um, yeah. yeah I don't know like we, we'd need to go back in time and ask him <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, sorry mr tolkien i'm gonna criticize you on how to write a story yeah there's one scene in the book which works really well because of how it's structured and that was a scene that was held over to the extended cut which we'll get to when we get to that point but as i've mentioned the extended editions there's a scene near the start of the return of the king that is infamous for being left out the theatrical cut, which I'm sure you two both know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, poor poor Christopher Lee. He, uh, I remember there's a video of him, like, I think it was, like, at the premiere or something, and people were asking him, like, oh, what did you think of the film? And he was like, well, I wasn't in it. <laughs> the poor guy. We were all shown the films in private. Those of us who were in the same place at the same time. And when the third film came on... I couldn't believe what I saw because I wasn't in it. <laughs> Nobody could understand this. There were millions of hits on the internet, not just from Tolkien fans and the film fans, but everybody who'd seen the first two. Because they said, what happened to Saruman? Buy the extended DVD. <laughs> You know, he felt he filmed this scene, and he was like easily the biggest Lord of the Rings fan uh, out of all of the the cast. Um, so it, mu- yeah. it must have been really disappointing. To, I mean, he met to Tolkien, that. the guy met Tolkien himself. Yeah, well, yeah, he was a huge fan, and and he always wanted to, yeah. he always wanted to play Gandalf. Uh, it, but but yeah, he realized that he was probably too old to be traipsing around. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> uh new zealand by that point so he, just stay he, in he your nice towel yes yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> basically yeah so yeah. um <laughs> it's a great scene because it allows to see saruman who's the closest thing this tr- the, the movie trilogy has to kind of like a physical antagonist yeah you get to see meter demise it's brilliant he gets impaled on the spikes as a homage to dracula <laughs> it's pretty hardcore as well as christopher lee yeah yeah, yeah. Christopher Lee is acting his heart, giving a stellar performance. But yeah, and um, also Peter Jackson when he was making this movie, he tried to direct Christopher Lee getting stabbed, and Christopher Lee was like, "You know, when you get stabbed, you don't say ah." And they kind of gave an explanation as to what happens exactly when someone gets stabbed. It's kind of like, "Oh shit, this guy stabbed Nazis in World War Two." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. That's a crazy story because he was saying, yeah, it's like an intake of breath because when you get stabbed, it's like, <gasps> you know, and that, and that's what he shows in the in the performance. When we 
Boomtang rises up and comes up behind Saruman to stab him, um, of course it was my job as director to talk to Christopher Lee and to explain to him what I, what I wanted. So I started to go into this long explanation about what sort of sound he should make when he got stabbed. I seem to recall that I did say to Peter, have you any idea of what kind of noise happens when somebody is stabbed in the back? And I said, well, because I do. It's because the breath is driven out of your body. He proceeded to sort of talk about some very clandestine part of World War II. He used to be in the, the British Secret Service, whatever they were called, the OSS. He seemed to have expert knowledge of exactly the sort of noise that they make, and so I just sort of didn't push the subject any further. I just said, well, you obviously know what to do, Christopher, so I'm sure you'll do it great, and he did. It's, it's interesting, because they, they abridge it, because the, the scene of them meeting with Saruman does happen in the book. Uh, but he doesn't die at that point. Um, he There's a whole thing later on where he takes over the Shire, uh, which is like the most downer ending ever. Yeah, I've got ever. a whole thing about that, but yeah. Yeah, but, but, but what's interesting is that they actually do carry over the way he dies. Um, so in the book, as in the, as in the extended edition, it is Grima who stabs him uh, because he's treating Grima like shit. And uh, and Grima's not taking any more of that crap, so he he stabs him, and then uh, and then poor Grima gets shot by mm. arrows. He gets shot by yeah. arrows, plural, in the in the book, whereas Legolas just shoots him in this, which fine. <laughs> yeah, but in the theatrical cut, um, all that happens is they go to Isengarden, and Treebeard's like, Saruman will never bother anyone ever again. Oh, He's okay. learned his lesson. Yeah, it's a bit lame, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can. Will you promise I, to be good, I Saruman? See, kind of, <laughs> but I can kind of see why the scene was cut because I think when they started making The Lord of the Rings under Harvey Weinstein, they were going to do yeah. it as two movies. And I think the the first movie was going to end with Saruman's death followed by Pippin and Gandalf going off to Minas Tirith, which is the right, end of the Two right. Towers book. And then, of course, they yeah. go to New Line and it gets extended into three movies. And I think they planned the Saruman death scene. They filmed it originally for The Two Towers. Right, but, yeah. Which makes sense because that's where Saruman's the most prominent and it's kind of like wrapping up the Helm's Deep. But then sure, I think Peter yeah. Jackson felt after Helm's Deep it didn't really work. It's kind so of too thought, long okay, a scene. Okay, we'll save it for Return of the King. It's too long a scene to shove in at the end. Yeah, exactly. So then Return of the King... Um, Jackson was like, it felt if they were wrapping up the two towers at the start of Return of the King, they felt it doesn't really work here. And I kind of get where he was coming from, but at the same time, like, we need to have some kind of presence for him. You can't just say, oh, he's gone. He's not going to bother anyone ever again. <laughs> because I, I think even as a kid, I was watching it, it's like, what? I am going to uh, disagree with Peter Jackson's editing process, but not for the reason you think. Um, yeah, I'm perfectly happy with Saruman actually just behaving nicely until the end of his days and don donating to charity and, and becoming <laughs> a nice old guy. Uh, but my issue with cutting the scene, when I was re-watching it uh, last night, I, I picked up on some really cool little touches, which was... Um, Saruman's whole thing is that he has the mouth of Saruman, like, or the voice, the voice of Saruman, where he, you know, he, he kind of can kind of win you over or he has quite a nasty tongue to him like he, he like quite a barbed tongue 
and uh, he says to Gandalf, like, ah, you, you've sent uh, the halfling to his death, you know, referring to Frodo. Um, and Gandalf clearly looks quite upset by that because he, he knows it's true. You know, he's basically just sent Frodo to his death. And he also says to Feoden, uh, you know, King Feoden of Rohan, he says, um, uh, you are a lesser a lesser king of, of and, and the, le the lesser son of, of greater uh, kings. And, and Feoden is clearly shaken by that as well. And then what I like is that later on, both of those kind of emotional states for both Gandalf and Feoden come up like reg mm. regularly throughout oh, yes. the film. Like, like Gandalf, so, like there's the scene later on when um, uh, Gandalf is, is uh, well, Again, they cut this scene, so maybe it does work better in the theatrical cut. But I was thinking of the mouth of Sau Sauron scene when the you know the ambassador from Sauron throws Gandalf the mithril coat, yes. and uh, and and that and that's oh. like oh my god, Frodo has been killed. And uh, but the other one was yeah, Feoden when oh, he's dying. Get back he's to the mouth of Sauron saying, scene. Yeah, but it's great. But but yeah, Feoden when he's dying is is talking about he goes to the hall halls of his fathers and he feels proud of his achievements and and again it relates to what Saruman said to him at the start of the film so it just feels like kind of losing that I, I don't know maybe I need to rewatch the theatrical cut and 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 see and and see if it still flows I think it flows pretty well but yeah no I I do wonder like it's good eh, to have a set maybe you should have had that yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, so so that's my my reason. And I, as you said, uh, Saruman uh, goes back to his home planet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was literally Not... it. Yeah. <laughs> Saruman died on his way back to Isengard. <laughs> I have to go now. My planet needs me. Yeah, one of my favourite things about the movie is just how oppressive it feels. Like, we get the feeling that this is like the end times. It's like we see mm. Sauron preparing to wipe out all the free people of Middle Earth and amassing his forces, and it gives the film like a really kind of sinister vibe, which isn't really present in the other two as much. Like, and it makes sense. It ties into like Frodo's journey getting like more challenging as he's reaching this final hurdle. I, I think one of the really cool contrasts is that the land of Rohan and Edoras, the the city of of Rohan, is like obviously a lot less wealthy than Gondor. Like Gondor's like this big proud city and, and well, big proud country and then Minas Tirith is like this massive uh tower city. You know, it's it's really impressive. But then once you actually get inside it, like there's no army to protect it in the same way that the Rohirrim had. And of course, we find that its ruler Denethor is like just insane from uh, paranoia and grief yes. from the death of grief. his son. So, yeah, but but also this kind of malignant uh, suspicion of of like the return of the king. You know, uh, uh, he he says to uh, Gandalf, "I will not bow to this ranger in the north." You know, and and uh, he's terrified of like the king coming back and supplanting him and or Gandalf supplanting him you know you mm. oh Ga Gandalf is you you just want to control things you know um you you should know your place wizard sort of thing 
and so he's such a huge contrast from Feoden, who's you know the kind of the honorable man and and the the hero who who rides to save Gondor at the end, you yeah. know, and uh, and that's yeah, mm. that's the contrast is is that uh, yeah, Gondor, this great sit, this great country, is actually very oppressive and very yeah, as you said, very kind of um, uh, a, a kind of a fallen city. Uh, it, it's not it's not what it once was. The the the, the white tree is dead, you yeah. know, and that's what I like about Denethor. Mm. What's cool about Denethor is that he shows that there's shades of grey to the world. Like he's, um, he, like he's just the steward of the Gondor Shrine. He's ruling until the true king makes his c- return. He's, he's opposed to Sauron, but he's not willing to ally with Gandalf. He's like, he's gotten accustomed to his throne and doesn't want, and wants to keep that power. But what's cool is he's, he, like, he's on like a tiny little chair next to the real throne, and that's yeah. where he's sitting. So it kind of shows <laughs> where his power really is, and like. That's in the book. Don't like, you think that's he's not even compensating a... <laughs> for something? Yeah, uh, that's not even in the film though. That well, it, it, it's it's in the book that description of like a little throne compared to like the that's big adorable. one. <laughs> At least like Tywin Lannister gets to sit in yeah. the Iron Throne or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I think one thing that's not—I don't think it's really touched upon in the film. Like the film just kind of shows he's mad because of his grief over losing Boromir, but in the book, something that we we hear is that he's being he's Sauron's manipulating him because, much like Saruman, Denethor has a Palantir. Yeah, this is a huge thing that I do wonder why the film didn't show this because they'd already established the Palantir with uh, with you know with Pippin picking it up, so it's weird that the film doesn't show this like because yeah like it, it, the the idea is that Denethor has seen in the palantir that you know the 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 orb he has his orb uh he he sees inside it the armies of <laughs> mordor and he sees inside it like how powerful sauron is and he's like oh well there's no hope you know that like we're we're screwed uh that there's we we have no chance to defeat this and it's like you know yeah you, you can just say it's grief which is kind of what the film touches on but it's like eh, i don't know it, it would probably makes more sense if they found you know like i think he even in the book he just he just drops it like from his cloak uh similar to saruman in the in the film he just drops it from his cloak when the when he burns himself alive you know uh, so I don't know. It just seems like such an easy little cutaway that they could yeah. have had. But anyway. Yeah, but um, in the book he doesn't set on fire and run all the way down the courtyard and fall into the battle. I mean, no, that's, but that's great. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. Rule, rule cool. Like. Yeah, exactly. If the scene in the extended cut between Boromir, Faramir, and Denethor didn't give off the impression that Denethor favoured Boromir. <laughs> then return the king enforces ah. it because like Denethor is you can see he's very bitter that yeah. Boromir fell whereas Faramir survives and he never has a kind word to say about the younger son and like he chastises him for abandoning Osgiliath and like in his madness he sends Faramir to his death to try and reclaim the fallen fortress and Faramir only agrees to go because he asks so yeah you'd rather have Boromir live instead of me and because of Boromir is no longer here I will go and on this suicide mission basically wish now that our places had been exchanged that I had died and Boromir had lived 
I wish that. Since you were robbed of Boromir, I will do what I can in his stead. When Faramir meets a cruel end during the amazing scene with um, um, Billy Boyd singing the great song as Pippin and Denethor eating tomatoes in a questionable way. <laughs> it's well, that, that seems brilliant though, because especially because as soon as like the arrows get shot, like we cut to Denethor's mouth and he's like dripping with like the red from the tomato. It's kind of like mm. look like blood. It works really well. But then yeah, when Faramir yeah. gets brought back, um, Denethor is not able to see that he's alive. He's, he's just completely mad with grief and decides, oh, my, my line is dead. And he just decides, I'm going to set him, I'm going to set my son on fire. I'm going to set myself on fire at the same time. Can I just oh, say, no, one, no to... one in this film seems to know how to check a pulse. <laughs> I swear, like, three times throughout this film, like, yeah. someone is convinced that another character is dead and, like, they just accept it. Yeah, right, because yeah. there's Denethor and well, uh, Faramir, and there's uh, Sam and Frodo. Yeah. After after he gets uh, gets got by the spider, no, and yeah. there was another yeah. one as well. I can't remember who though. Uh, Eowyn with. Uh, I think it might be the Merry and Pippin. A Merry and Pippin, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure. you're right. When he when he, find, and, and when he El- finds Eowyn Merry had, on the had battlefield, had a fake out death as well. Actually, didn't she? So that makes four. Yeah, it, it's a little complicated. Okay, so with Shelob, um, they do mention that they they go limp as a as a like I think they say what was it a cold fish heart or something like that. Uh, so they they do seem dead when when they're stung by uh, uh, by Shelob's uh, venom, but uh, and then it gets a little complicated because there's stupid magic shit involved with uh, <laughs> Eowyn, Merry, and Faramir. So, to be fair to Denifor, I know that sounds a little crazy, but <laughs> to be fair to Denifor, the only reason Faramir survives in the books is because Aragorn turns up with the magical hands of a healer, because he has the hands of a king, and kings are healers in, uh, in Lord of the Rings law so it's only because aragorn turns up and he uses his magic healing abilities that faramir survives so and same same goes for merry and eowyn so yeah you know like faramir probably would have died like (laughs) (laughs) if he if he wasn't if he wasn't burned alive he probably would have died just from you know being shot by several arrows and I think he, like the idea is he's dying of like a fever, like yeah. <laughs> Medieval people couldn't deal with that shit. <laughs> yeah, as we mentioned, Merry and Pippin. I think it's great to see them get development following the previous movie. Like the first movie, they're just the comic relief duo, hmm. and in the second film, they still kind of had that, but they also developed a bit more through their interactions with Tree Bibber because now we're in like the big final battle, like kind of practically post-apocalyptic practically apocalyptic now there's no time mm. for comic relief so um so like both end up joining the fight like pippin like becomes like the assistant to the stewards yeah like he places yeah. himself to denethor out of obligation because boromir died to save him and merry and then of course yeah. merry feels the need to join theoden's army and like 
they both get great catch bonuses. Pippin, he helps save Aramir because he's like, Gandalf, Denethor's gone mad. And then, of course, Merry assists with killing the Witch King. Yeah, yeah, they both, they're both incredibly heroic by the end, which is wonderful, you know. Yeah, and, that was and a really great kind of, Yeah, it is... And, and it's interesting, I remember as well, like, the books mentioned, because they, they drunk the the waters of the Ents, they grow, like, several inches taller than, uh, than most other hobbits, so, like, there's also this kind of idea of, of not only had they grown as, you know, they, they were quite young when they started their adventure, you know, but they, they'd grown as people, but they'd literally grown as well, which I think is always fun. Um, they do show that in the extended edition, like, yeah, the idea think... that they're growing a little bit, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's funny, that, that little touch. Yeah, I think Pippin's um, a teenager, I oh. think, in Hobbit ages, at least. So. Uh, yeah, they're, like, in the, f like, late 20s, 30s, I think. Um... Whereas Frodo's actually fifty in the uh, in the book, but he has the face of a thirty-year-old because at, by that point he had the ring and he actually has it for about twenty odd years uh, before the adventure happens. Um, yeah, there's actually a really big really? time jump in 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 the book. Yeah, uh, so Gandalf, the he when he goes off uh, investigating. Uh, like several things happen. So after Bilbo's birthday. Yeah, yeah. So after Bilbo's birthday, Frodo's given the ring, and then Gandalf goes off. Like at at one point, he's trying to find Gollum, and that's what they mention in the film is that the enemy found him first, you know, and and there's that kind of stuff. But yeah, so he actually spends years looking for Gollum, and uh, and various and yeah, and various other things like he's trying to figure out. And it's like seventeen years, isn't it? It's yeah, I think it's seventeen. Yeah, and uh, and and he spends ages trying to figure out if the ring in the Shire actually is the one ring, and eventually he finds out. Again, they just abridge this very quickly in the film, but he he actually goes into the vaults of of <laughs> uh, of Minas Tirith and and finds this old record from Isildur. But that's one of the fun things is because Minas Tirith at this point has kind of fallen from grace. They don't care about the history of their kings anymore or of their you know or of their kind of their proud history and uh and so it's actually incredibly difficult for gandalf to find this one scroll from isildur you know several millennia before you know um which yeah fair enough i mean like the the events of um the the war of the ring like the first time round when sauron got his fingers cut off that was like 3,000 years before, so it would be like saying to someone, okay, go find, like, an ancient Egyptian scroll uh, that will tell us about some weapon they had. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, you know, like, so, to be fair to Gandalf, yeah, 17 years actually sounds pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you, so there you go. So that's my defense of Gandalf being tardy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, this film actually has one a great moment with the um, lighting of the beacons, which is like oh my such God. a satisfying scene to watch. It really is, yeah. With the music and everything. What I love is the idea that there are just the, yeah. these these mountain people. They're just they They're they, just they, they live the just time. for these beacons. <laughs> they just sit around just all day out. waiting. For them. <laughs> it's poor bastards, and it must be like. Um, um, 
the the wall in in Game of Thrones. Just these guys posted there for like <laughs> for their whole lives, waiting for this moment. <laughs> oh, no, it, but it's a great it's a great sequence. It's fantastic, and uh, and yeah, and it leads to my favorite. Well, it it both again a nice little setup payoff. But I love Feyden saying like. Why should we come to the aid of those who did not come to ours? And Rohan will answer. Gondor? And then, yeah, and then, and then, and Rohan will answer. And you go, yeah! <laughs> I like how, how long he pauses for, because he really just hasn't decided still. <laughs> Gondor he's calls for aid, like, and he's just, like, silent for about ten seconds. <laughs> then he's like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's... The And Rohan will answer. In the book, I believe, it's been, been a few years since I've read the book, but I believe when Gandalf gets to Minas Tirith with Pippin, the beacons are already lit. Okay, yeah, well that would make sense because that gives them a bit more time to arrive. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like the idea that uh, Denifor hasn't even called for Rohan. And then later on, he's whining that Rohan hasn't arrived. And it's like, you didn't even signal them. Merry, not Merry, Pippin had to like set it on fire for you. What <laughs> a dick. Yeah, he's just a total a asshole. <laughs> Lovely man. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings is uh, as a franchise, as well in the Hobbit as well, is um, pretty light on women characters, as a, which is why in the Hobbit movies they infamously introduced that random elf character who had a romance with one of the dwarves. <laughs> but yeah, there's, um, in the Lord of the Rings itself, yeah. there's only three prominent women who are Arwen, Eowyn, and Gladriel, and even then, the roles aren't super significant. Like I think the movies rectify this as much as they can, like. Arwen rescues Frodo from the ring race in Fellowship instead of Glorfindel. And they yeah. were planning to include Arwen in Helm's Deep. She was going to fight alongside Aragorn at Helm's Deep, but they cut that because yeah. I think it takes away from Eowyn's plight in this movie where um, yeah. like, she's yeah. got the classic Mulan storyline of being forbidden to fight due to being a woman. <laughs> so she dresses up as a man yeah. to fight. And so she fights during awesome. Paranormal Fields. And I think in the book they do, um, they kind of have this. They kind of describe it as just a random warrior fighting um, yeah, the, um, um, the Witch Dern, King. Yeah, and, Dern, Dern, and then Dern at the end Helm. she takes the helmet off and says, I'm not a man. Yeah, it, well, she, she picks up Merry. Um, so so it is this this character called Dernhelm just suddenly turns up and, and grabs Merry and says, Come with me, little one, we'll we'll ride you know, 'cause because Merry's been told, You're not you're not coming with us. And uh, and then Merry's like, Wow, this this Dernhelm guy's great <laughs> uh, taking me along for the adventure and then uh, and then yeah, and then and then famously she takes her helmet off and says, Fuck you, dickhead uh, <laughs> those are the exact no words that Tolkien wrote. I am no man. Stabs him in the oh, face. Yeah. <laughs> you fool. No man can kill me. Die now. Ah! 
yeah, uh, the the women in in Lord of the Rings are interesting, like in in the book, because obviously, I guess the most prominent ones in the books are Eowyn and uh, and Galadriel, and you know, so Galadriel's like this, yeah, like this divine being, you know, uh, and yeah, but I think it's it's kind of cool that both of them have some of the best lines in in all of Lord of the Rings, like yeah, the um, I I the I'll find it because actually, like, there's a bunch of other lines that uh, Aowen says that are just they're awesome. Uh, let me find them. Um, uh, when when we oh, you when shall we not doubt him when um oh, because she's trying to um. Oh yeah, when, no, but I I was just thinking I I just love what she says to the Witch King. Uh, uh, Begone, foul Dwimmer Lake, Lord of Carrion, leave the dead in peace. I just think that I don't I don't know what a Dwimmer Lake is, but that that stuck out to me. Um, and then of course uh, the Nazgul says, "Come not between the Nazgul and his prey." Oh my God, it's just a great scene. Um, and uh, yeah, no, she just very very badass throughout. Um, anyway, so I I, I like that bit. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's such it's a cool so bit. Like um, especially because the, the the Witch King kills um kills um Thed and then um so then she steps in goes oh, I will kill you if you touch him yeah no it, well it, exactly so um no it, it's uh, it's and it's a great little uh, boss fight <laughs> 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 with his uh with his flail um in the animated film he um, had like a mace not I think? in the PS2 game it's one of the worst levels in the PS2 game which I'll get into uh, later really? Who do you play as in that scene? Is it um? Yeah. Is it Aowen oh, or God, is it like? I a... think you're Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so I'll okay. explain why it's terrible me when we talk about the game, but right. Yeah. So um, I think Frodo and Sam's journey as well. It reaches the deadliest point as Gollum finally betrays them both and like sends them to face Shelob the shot the spider, which takes us to one of the changes that I'm not the biggest fan of. So. In mm. the book, Frodo and Sam go into Shelob's there together. So Gollum kind yeah. of he grabs hold of Sam just as um, Shelob um, like stuns Frodo, and then mm. and Sam breaks free and fights Shelob. But the filmmakers thought it'd be more dramatic if Frodo went in alone, and Sam shows up unexpectedly to fight Shelob. Which I think I think it works really well. I just yeah. don't like the way they went about separating Frodo and Sam, which is right, um, yeah, Gollum yeah. gets rid of all their Lembus bread and then frames mm. Sam for it. And then Sam gets so mad, he, he starts punching Gollum. And Frodo's like, Sam, fuck off, go home. <laughs> <laughs> go home, Sam, yeah. you're drunk. Yeah. Oh, he's stuffing his face when Master's not looking. That's a filthy lie! Ugh. I Sam! Sorry! Oh, stop! Oh, Sam! Exhausted. It's that golem. It's this place. It's that thing around your neck. 
I could help a bit. I could carry it for a while. Carry it for a while. I could carry it. I could carry it. Share the load. Share the load. The load. The load. Get away! I don't want to keep it. I just want to help. Sorry, Sam. But he's a liar. He's poisoned you against me. You can't help me anymore. You don't mean that. Go home. Yeah, so that doesn't happen in the book, um, as as Rob said. It, it they they do go into the cave together, and then um. What happens? Do they get? Do they just get separated in the caves, and then and then Sam finds Frodo, you know, like um, spun in the web or something like that? Because I I know that he does arrive a little behind Frodo. From what I remember, Shelob um, basically she's about to grab get Frodo, but then a Gollum holds Sam back. Right. Okay. Yeah. Something like that happens where they they do get separated, and that was the point where it reveals that that Gollum was kind of tricking them the whole time because in the book it's kind of implied but you're not too sure because you kind of only just hear murmurings of Gollum whispering to himself whereas in the films it's more sure. of a, that Gollum's having you this conflict with himself and you he's outright said he's going to betray them. You don't have his little dialogues in the in the pond. Yeah, yeah one, thi one thing I wasn't so sure about um, was like at the, start of the f at the start of the film almost Gollum like basically explains to himself and the audience everything that's going to happen in in the Frodo and Sam storyline <laughs> for the next two hours, which is very strange. Yeah, up, he just up, explains up, up, his up entire plan in great detail, and it's like, okay, I yeah, guess I can yeah. fast forward those bits now. <laughs> like, is, is just that get straight to the the cave? Yeah, <laughs> is that scene in the theatrical yeah. cut, or is that one of the things that got trimmed down? Because it seems to me like that I scene could very easily no, have gone. That is that that is in the theatrical cut. That, yeah, that yeah. was in it. I, I think it's depressingly. No, no, I, I think, cut, yes. Wow, that's yeah. that's really I've, weird. They they kept that, but they I, cut uh, Christopher Lee dying. Yeah, I I think depressingly, Joe. I think we're this may be a case of uh, idiot proofing uh, for audience members who wouldn't have got that he was being treacherous. Well, I like, don't know. Well, I, I, I we we yeah. all we all love Gollum talking to himself. We, we like, those are some of the best scenes. <laughs> we love that. Like, yeah. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta find intelligent conversation wherever you can. Um, like, <laughs> he, I I didn't need him to explain in detail everything he was gonna do. Like obviously, just say some stuff yeah. that makes it clear what he's doing, like that he's gonna betray them. But you don't have to explain yeah, the yeah. entire plot to us. <laughs> <laughs> imagine imagine it, it, if it was, he's just like, gone it, into one like of the real things that got me. With the, uh, it was like spider, I was reading the like, wiki. And, yeah, yeah. No, imagine if he just like he just started saying, and then they'll run into the spider, and the spider has lots of dead orcs and birds in the in the cobwebs, and you know, and just literally describes like an audio visual description. And then he just keeps going all the way to the end. Well, maybe I shouldn't yeah, do this. Then, this. This seems like a bad idea, actually. 
I'll end up in lava by the end. But <laughs> the thing that gets me about the whole thing with 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 tricking the bread is um Sam's instantly like, oh, Gollum took the bread, and then Frodo's like, hey, Gollum doesn't like the bread. And what's weird is the scene in the two towers where Gollum eats Glember's bread and and hates it wasn't yeah. in the theatrical cut. And as a kid, I'd only seen the theatrical cuts. And I was like, ah. wait, when, since when did Gollum not like bread? When's he ever had bread? And then I watched the extended cuts, like, well, and like over sense. COVID. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's where that was established. <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah, so that that's very much a case of they forgot what they'd included. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. And it's it, funny. It's, I think it's definitely a scene you can skip. <laughs> like, yeah, that that whole scene because it's like it's not in the book, and it's but, just an excuse to get them separated. But it's like, eh, they could have just got lost in the caves. So. I, I do like. I do like the way that they did that and um, yeah. separated them out because it makes it feel more uh, dynamic. The relationships between yeah, the characters. Yeah. Like you don't just want and, the, and the, th- kind of... the three of them having the exact same power dynamics for the entire thing. You have to have them like yeah. getting one over on each other. Obviously, yeah, being like the of, angel it... and the devil on Frodo's shoulders. Yeah, and it kind of touches on how, at this point, Frodo is seeing himself more in Gollum than he is in like his fellow Hobbit. So he he relates more to Gollum as the mm. ring bearer, and he's kind of thinking, well. Sam doesn't get it, you know, like, he doesn't understand the burden that both Gollum and I have shared. And so, when push comes to shove at that moment, it does kind of make sense for him to say, actually, fuck you, Sam, like, you're just some fat asshole who's like, you know, come with me, and you've you've done nothing but complain this entire time, and, and bitched about our guide, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. That's Sam very was mean, kind of being a dick, it. it's true. Like, <laughs> early on, he's just, like, so horrible to call him when he's not really done yeah. that much yet. Like, obviously, in the end, it turns yeah. out to be, like, fairly justified, but he's such a yeah. dick yeah. right away. Justified? Yeah. Yeah, no, but, but exactly. So, yeah, so Frodo sees that, and he sees a kind of a prejudice on, on Sam's part where it's like, well, Gollum looks kind of disgusting and horrible so he's just cruel to him because of that and so again yeah Frodo's thinking well I could very well become like Gollum one day I really like Sam's arc throughout the movie like Sam's like oh, my yeah, favourite character yeah. he's just the way he develops really in all three movies like um, hmm. at the start of the movie he's incredibly optimistic that they're gonna come back like be like Bilbo go there and back again like he's rationing the Lemba spread and he says oh yeah there should be enough for the journey home and Frodo just looks at him like Oh, mm. I've not really thought we are going home, and then, yeah. and then of course by the end, even Sam understands. Like, um, oh, oh yeah, I don't think it's going to be a return journey, Mister Frodo. And then, like, this happens like right after Sam has to step up because Frodo gets incapacitated, and then Fro- Sam's like he thinks Frodo's dead, so he takes the rings. Like, okay, someone's got to finish this. Then he realize when he realizes that Frodo isn't dead, he storms Sirifungal all by himself mm. to rescue his friend, which is the best level of the PS2 game, where you just mow down those of orcs. He's such a badass in that and scene. It's brilliant, like. but... Yeah, Samwise the Brave, yeah. Um, yeah. What and I love course, it, yeah. And there's also the one character who actually walks into Mordor. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. One one does not simply walk into Mordor while Sam goddamn dead. He walked in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> what what yeah. I And then he carries Frodo on his motherfucking back, say so. I, I was I was gonna bring that up. That's probably my that might upon rewatch, that might be my favourite scene in this film is uh is i i can't carry it for you but i can carry you come on and it's just like and i was there going yes <laughs> I, I was just so like come on get up there you know um because because yeah by that point it, it it has been a journey and it's like we're so close but obviously there's still that final push and oh what what a moment it's mm. it's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it's so great. Naked in the dark. There's, there's nothing. No veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! The music as well, Carol Shaw's music throughout yeah. the entire trilogy is top-notch. Like I can hear any piece of music and know exactly which bit of the film it's from. Yeah, I, I want to find that, I mentioned it to you guys, there, there was like a really specific flute music, I think it was the flute, uh, just before Pippin starts singing the song for Denifor. It was just when Faramir was... was like leading the troops out and there was this really gorgeous like little flute music playing oh yeah and i'll need to find it and um and yeah it's the scene when when gandalf says your father loves you he will remember it before the time comes you know and it's like that's great it's such a great little scene and um but yeah no howard shaw like brought his a game and it's crazy again because you think that howard shaw like i think started off in doing horror as well uh, similar to Peter Jackson, so yeah. So now he, he did, did the he music did, yeah. for, he did the music for Seven, which is a great movie. Really? Yeah. So he did the music for Seven. He did the music for a bunch of. I want to say he did a, the music for like loads of early David Cronenberg films. So you know the guy who did. The oh, fly. he did the music for the fly, and yeah, he also so did. Um, go, yeah. I think Cronenberg released a movie last year called Crimes of the Future. He did the music for that as well. Yeah, so I think they've had a very long-standing relationship as well. So yeah, it's, again, it's really cool that a guy who started off in, again, like f quite horror-related uh, music, uh, then went on to write, you know, this kind of insane epic score for uh, for Lord of the Rings. And and yeah, Return of the King has some amazing tracks, uh, kind of bringing it all together mm. at the end. Um, no, it's it's great. Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, the film also concludes Aragorn's arc because um, that's one thing that was added in the films because in the book, Aragorn's just like, oh, I'm going to be the king when um, as soon as I am able to. 
and yeah. so, whereas in the in the book in the films he kind of doubts himself a bit more whereas in the film he um, he finally accepts that mantle because um, Elrond comes and visits him with the reforged mm. um, Nazil which is the blade that cut the ring from Sauron's finger and he says I'll put aside the ranger become who you are born to be like in the book the, the sword gets reforged while the fellowship's in Rivendell so he has it like the whole the re- whole story basically yeah. and but it's moves here it gives great emphasis to Aragorn Aragorn's arc and like and then he of course has to go into the mountains to face the king of the dead in order to get the elite, their allegiance against Sauron because of course mm. Isildur cursed them and then it's all fulfilled their oath as it were yeah 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 it's my it's my favorite change from the books is the arrival yeah. of and Angeril Flame of the West from Elrond because it's like by the time that you kind of get to Return of the King, you kind of forget that Aragorn has it in the book. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just his sword by that point. Um, whereas, like, yeah, it, it kind of brings in, you know, because you remember it from the first film. Oh, yes, the Shards of Narsil. They're, they're like, displayed in Rivendell. Um, and then, yeah, and then suddenly, call back. Oh, we're going to reforge it, and then that's going to be Aragorn's... Uh, call to arms and, and, and to say finally take up the throne of Gondor and, and take up your your heritage as king you know and uh, yes I, I, I always felt like in the book it's all a bit anticlimactic and a bit anti-dramatic where it's just like he just has the sword now you know and I know I, I know some book f- book fans are really annoyed about that but eh, whatever <laughs> they believe in nothing they answer to no one to the king of Gondor. Anduril, a flame of the west, forged from the shards of Narsil. Of course, the culmination of Aragorn's arc is the Battle of the Black Gate, which is my favourite battle sequence in the entire trilogy. What I love about it is it's like the the last stand of the race of men, like the union of Gondor and Rohan, and like mm. it's important to the main characters as well because they've already defeated Sauron. Basically, they've defeated him at um, Pelennor Fields, and now they're taking the fight to him. They're not going to defeat them. They want to draw Sauron's attention away from Frodo and Sam. And like yeah, they're fully yeah. expecting to die, but it doesn't matter as long as it allows Frodo to finish its task. And yeah. there was one thing they filmed that nearly ruined all this. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, the um, the arrival yeah, of so Sauron. Is that right? Originally, <laughs> yes. Originally, think yes, yeah, Sauron was going to come out and have a fight with Aragorn. And I think I can get kind of see what they wanted to do. It's like Sauron's the main villain. But he's most then supposed to move is a giant eye. 
and so it kind of makes sense for kind of like the general kind of audience to kind of have this big final boss for Aragorn, but it takes away from what the characters are fighting for. They're not fighting to like kill Sauron. They they fighting expecting to die, but they want to give their friend like one last chance. So I think they kept the fight itself. They just put a CG troll over where <laughs> Sauron was. Yeah, they kept yeah. they kept well, the whole always, scene. They just they just replaced the guy with a troll. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, uh, as, no, as an outsider it, 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 to this thing, having an epic mm -hmm. fantasy thing and not finishing with a showdown with the main villain is a little bit weird, in my opinion. But that's, but, but that I no, know. I I but that no, but that's that's the core of the story is that it doesn't end with a big climactic fight to the death. It ends with them throwing the weapon that you know the ring into in, into the fire to destroy it and that and that's what tolkien um, was always about because tolkien never liked violence in in that kind of way he wanted it to be about yeah um wanting to destroy the weapon rather than using it you know um yeah so exactly. i think i think that's that i think yeah. that was the idea um, but I want to talk about this a bit more, but first I want to go back to, I think we touched on this earlier, but the mouth of Sauron, which is cut from the um, theatrical, and he's played wonderfully by the gyro captain from Mad Max 2 himself, Bruce Spence, and ah. Joe, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this character, but he was also in, he was also in Revenge of the Sith. He was um, Tion Medon, who's the guy who tells Obi-Wan where General Grievous is on Utapau. Oh. So is he, is he just typecast as people with like yeah, fu it. fucked up mouths? Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> so yeah, but so in the in the he shows up and he shows the mithril vest of the characters, mm. which leads them to believe Frodo's dead. And like this is from the book, but it works differently there because because of the way the books are structured, with the first half being like um, Aragorn and all the other characters, and then Frodo and Sam. When it happens in the book, the last we saw of Frodo and Sam was Frodo being taken by the orcs after Shelob stunned him. Yeah, so in the, in the two towers. As far as yeah. like we were concerned, reading the book, Frodo and Sam are dead. At least that's what yeah. um, the Mouth and Sauron is implying. And yeah, but because the films are structured differently, we already know Frodo and Sam are alive, and we know how the Mouth of Sauron got the vest. So it kind of makes him cutting it. Um, it's a great scene that I'm glad exists. And what's weird is this is a scene that was in the PS2 game, even though it was okay. in the theatrical cut. <laughs> oh, weird. Oh, it was. I remember that. Wow. Yeah, because I remember be thinking that was weird that that comes up in the game, but yeah, not in not in the original film. Um, I love the mouth of Sauron. I love his design, and yeah, the fact that he has just like a weird fucked up mouth. And uh, what's interesting is that he's a man. <laughs> he's not an. He's he's not an, he's not an orc. Um, this is one thing that isn't really touched on by the films at all. Is that uh. There's such a thing called the Black Numenorians. So the, so Aragorn originally his he's from a line called the Numenorians, and there was you know a place anyway. It was like the high the high kings were all Numenorians, and then there were the corrupted ones, and they became the Black Numenorians, and um and so you had this like race of evil men basically uh, working for Sauron. But in the films, they kind of just brush over that, and they just they mainly use orcs because orcs are fun and we like orcs um 
but I really like the mouth of Sauron. He's like mm. our one little implication of like what humans will become or what man will become when they fall to Sauron. They become these kind of twisted, uh, nightmarish people, you know. I have a token I was bidden to show thee. Silence. No! Silence! The halfling was dear to thee, I see. Know that he suffered greatly at the hands of his host. Who would have thought one so small would endure so much pain? And he did, Gandalf. He did. Oh. And who is this? Isildur's heir. It takes more to make a king than a broken elvish play. I guess that concludes negotiations. And of course, at the end of his quest, Frodo ultimately fails. Like, yeah. And what's cool about the it in the film mine. is at Mount Doom, it mirrors what happens with Isildur and Elrond. Like Sam's begging Frodo to destroy the ring and then Frodo just turns around and says, the ring is mine. Destroy it! And then, of course, mm. fate intervenes and Gollum bites Frodo's finger off. And in the book, Gollum just jumps back into Mount Doom and dies, <laughs> like, as I think obviously said when we talked about this earlier, Looney Tune style, taking the ring with it, which is also how it happens in the terrible 1980 TV movie version. I don't know if it was a T. Was it a TV movie? Was it? It was an animated film. It, it was a TV uh... movie, yes. Oh, like, wow. It's, it's, yeah, it's an animated TV well, movie. It's, it's nicely animated for a TV movie. When it got to that scene in the film, I, I could see him like kind of holding the ring up and leaning back really far and stumbling backwards really close to the edge. And I was like, 
surely not that would be so lame <laughs> to have him just like slip and fall off the edge and that's how the ring gets destroyed yeah. that'd be so stupid <laughs> that's how it happens in the so, book sorry that talking. is actually how it happens <laughs> in the book that was fuck. <laughs> I, I i think they yeah. um they, they, obviously they, the filmmakers of... thought this was anticlimactic yeah, there was a bit of debate about that, wasn't there? Like they they recut a few different versions. Like there was one where um, yes, there was Frodo just like yeah, sprints and like rugby tackles him into the lava, which is a bit much. <laughs> no, yeah. I like I like I like yeah, the they compromise. Filmed, yeah, and then but the one they settled on was much cooler, I think. They changed the rugby tackle one because I think they felt um like felt like Frodo was murdering Gollum, and it kind of took yeah. away from the theme yeah. that Bilbo sparing Gollum with his pity. Was the catalyst that led to the ring's destruction? So it was changed to I, Frodo and Gollum. They're both kind of grappling for the ring, and yeah, they both I, fall off together. The destruction of the ring was always one of those really problematical situations. A bit like where Sauron appears at the end. Um, it, it was basically the decision really had to be made: is do do you stick with the book, uh, which which has Gollum finally grabbing the ring once he's bitten Frodo's finger off? He stands on that rock. And he is so overwhelmed with joy. He sort of dances. I think in the book he, he does a little sort of a, almost like it's described as a dance. But Gollum, dancing like a mad thing, held aloft the ring. He stepped too far, toppled, wavered for a moment on the brink, and then with a shriek he fell. Peter had this notion or the sense that he wanted Frodo not to be inactive, that we kind of invested all this energy and time with this character and then just have him be a bystander in that moment. And so our first concept that we originally had in our screenplay was that Gollum has the ring, Frodo has his finger bitten off, Frodo jumps to his feet and he comes and he pushes Gollum, he doesn't touch the ring, he pushes Gollum and the ring over. So Gollum and the ring fall and Frodo kind of disappears and ends up hanging on the rock. I know Fran and I had a few doubts about that. We were we were worried about how that was going to look. And then when Pete actually shot it, and he went for it, the very first time he, sh he shot it, it did feel as if Frodo was killing uh, Schmeagel and Gollum, as if it was an act of murder. It's not quite fulfilling Tolkien's um, theme that it was um, sparing Gollum's life was what ultimately caused the ring to be destroyed. That it was fate in that moment, fate that tipped Gollum over the edge. So we then decided at the very last minute, and it was really, it was really the very last minute because it was Andy Serkis's final day in New Zealand. It was Elijah's second to last day in New Zealand. We were about to lose these guys forever in terms of their involvement. In, on the film and we thought you know what we, we've got to squeeze in it wasn't part of our schedule or our plan during pickups but we thought really we want one more go at this I, I, I like this um, implication that it's actually the love of the ring that destroys it because they're ultimately fighting to get it you know they're like fighting each other trying to grab it off each other and then they they fall off um, and that's what destroys the ring is is the kind of insatiable need for it that the ring itself causes so again it, it is essentially the ring destroying itself which i like but it doesn't um, but it stays it's, it's it when it lands on the lava it stays sitting on the surface until frodo consciously makes the decision to reach up for sam and give up and, on and it to let go and then it's oh yeah that's yeah. really that, cool that, that's, that's my that sounds like don't you let go 
That's that's yeah, my favourite no, scene. No, when Frodo's yeah, hanging off the edge. I think that's a cool thing. It's, I mean, I, I really like that moment as well. It's like it's like um, what's it called? Um, it's like Frodo kind of looks down. It's kind of like he's fully ready to just let go, and Sam's like, "Don't yeah. you let go." Well, that that's exactly yeah yeah. He can can he live without the ring? And to some extent, he can't. And that's the the kind of the sadness yeah. of the ending that's, is that that's the beauty of the ending. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's 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 it's, a, it's not a happy ending. It's, 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 it's so it's, bittersweet. Yeah, because yeah. It, it's about Frodo yes. realizing that he will never heal. He'll never heal from what the ring did to him and yeah. his wound I'll... from yeah. uh, the Witch King. Um, you know, it, so he 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 travels to the basically to heaven, really. Um, I know that it's the West, whatever the West is, but it is basically they're just going into like the Undying Lands, which is just, yeah. it, you know, he's he's going to heaven at this yeah, point exactly. and it's yeah so it's a yeah, very so sad got, ending yeah it's just such a bittersweet ending because the hobbits they return home to the shire like the very place they left to protect only they find they can't relate to that life anymore like hmm. a great scene that shows this is there's a bit where they're all in the pub and like everyone around them's like having a great time like drinking and laughing and then the four hobbits just kind of like sitting there silently solemnly kind of just like it just shows the big disconnect between them and um I think that, they kind of like all clump their glasses and stuff. They kind of just all kind of like silently nods. That, yeah, that that screams of again. I remember we talked about it with uh, two towers. There's a scene. Yeah, I've where, got a whole thing when, about this. Like, but there's a, there's a scene when Feoden says no no father should no parent should have to bury their child, and it felt very again not that's not Tolkien. That that was from the film, um, but it's a great scene because it kind of goes into like. The First World War origins of Lord of the Rings, which is you know, yeah, the, I've got whole like about so, that. soldiers. Soldiers went off to yeah. die, and the ones who returned were forever changed. And that's what that scene in the tavern feels like, as you have four soldiers who've just seen the most horrific things, suddenly being told, "Oh, you're just just go back to normal life now. It's fine. Just go back to normal life." What what's your yeah. problem, dude? Why why aren't you yeah, enjoying what... life? <laughs> you know, and it's a great. And of course, Frodo sadness. struggles with this the most because he takes the last ship to leave Middle Earth to the Great Havens, and like the line that just shows this is like he goes, Sam, we set out to save the Shire, Sam, and it has been saved, just not for me. And that scene always makes me at least a little bit misty eyes. It's mm. just such a powerful ending. You're just And like, it's great yeah. because I know there's a certain other series where everyone goes through a horrific war, characters die, and then, no, everyone's happy, they all get married and have kids and become police. <laughs> but this ending is not <laughs> like that. 
little yes. shade on Avatar. Because yeah, yeah, then the... all, all of your all of your in institutions are corrupt <laughs> and can be taken over by not secret Nazis. How do we solve this? Uh, join the institutions. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I thought you were talking about Avatar. Okay. <laughs> you I completely Avatar forgot about from? Harry Potter. No, we were talking about the. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I was just thinking about Toph becoming a police officer. Oh, yes, okay. Ugh, that was that was equally lame. Um, yeah, but no, but you're right. Harry she... Potter was the more obvious yeah, choice. In, in yeah, Toph's like... defense, she became a dirty cop. That's a different thing. I that's, feel like that's worse. That's, that's more in character <laughs> for her. Yeah, so I think what's great about the ending is that it shows like trauma sticks with you. Just because like the fighting yeah. stops and you achieve what you set out to do, it doesn't magically make everything better. Like as you said, like much of the story was like even if Tolkien himself denied all the allegory, it's drawn from his experience during World War One. It feels like a lot like I think was a case for the, these people after the war. They came back home, changed after all the horrific things they witnessed. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was allegory. I think Tolkien did fully understand post-traumatic stress disorder, and he understood trauma, um, which does come across in the book incredibly well, because Frodo, at the end of, of the book, is described as... like they, they just mention that he's ill several times a year, but they never say what the illness is, and I, I'm pretty sure it's just referring to... A kind of melancholy you know a kind of just deep depression that he falls into like periodically mm. which is what a lot of veterans well after the war felt but also yeah like it today veterans have that kind of problem and uh yeah so no i i, I don't i i yeah obviously he he would reject it if we said oh it's about the first world war but I think he would probably agree if we said, "Well, you're, what you're describing is like shell shock and and trauma and and yeah." So, um, no, it's it's a wonderful uh, depiction, both in and and so kind of it's weird. Lord, um, fantasy doesn't really do trauma much. I don't know. Maybe that's completely wrong. But um, I'm just trying to think of other examples. Um, Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand there is no going back the um end of the book is um they go back to the shire and saruman's taken over and like gandalf i think he i think gandalf kind of warns them about this before they go back he's like oh this gandalf. is your final task oh you my must complete god Gan it without me no yeah gandalf fucks off and it's complete bullshit. Like, <laughs> it just literally, he arrives right in front of the Shire, and and then he's like, "Eh, sorry guys, you're gonna have to do this on your own." And that's it's like, kind of in character for and him, though. I, I I know, but it's like he goes, "Ah, well, you see, like my my part in all of this is done," and it's like, but but Saruman's your guy. Like, he's your problem. Like he's but one you of your didn't do anything. People. Didn't I? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like <laughs> sh surely this yeah. is wizard. This counts as wizard business. Saruman taking over the Shire, ruining it, and like 
you know, and, and murdering a bunch of people. I feel like this is something Gandalf should get involved with. Like, ugh. I don't know. I, 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 I was reading people's reactions and people were like, ah, oh, well, the, you know, the, the hobbits are completely capable of looking after themselves now. And I'm like, Fourth yeah, all. but I feel like, yeah. And I'm like, well, but I feel like less people would have died <laughs> if Gandalf had just turned up and just sorted it, you know. Uh, like, to, I don't know. That, that's it, that's kind of incorrect. As, as you said, yeah. he, he um, it's yeah, completely he, he incorrect. He really didn't seem to pulling his weight. I do see why it was cut from the movies. <laughs> like, like, like this. This man spent like what a week and a half fighting a giant flame monster like one v one, and yeah. It, he he's just kind of around for a lot of um, yeah. the battle of Minas Tirith. He's just kind of there. Yeah. yeah. He, he, why isn't he like yeah. firing lightning bolts and killing orcs and shit? I feel like he, <laughs> he's probably capable of a lot more than he's doing in that in that battle. <laughs> I don't really understand. Well, why. the witch king broke his staff, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, but before oh, that, that was in the book. That, that, that wasn't in the book, but in the film, the witch king broke his staff. That wasn't at the start of the battle, yeah, but... though, was it? It had been going on for a while. Yeah, he could. He's just twirling his sword and that, around. And that also was in the... And that bit with Gandalf and the Witch King was also not in the the actual cut. That was only in yeah. the extended cut, which is weird because that That's shot strange. was in all like the sneak previews and everything. That's very strange. All right, that, yeah. That, but yeah, I think... I feel like that's, that's useful for establishing uh, how much of a threat the Witch King is. Yeah, that like, he can, you he can that take there. on Gandalf. Like, you don't, he, doesn't, people, he doesn't even uh, need to touch Gandalf and he's like... Taking him out of the yeah. fight, whatever. But before that, Gandalf yeah, should again, have been doing more. Yeah, but again, I, I saw Tolkien fans complaining about the Witch King destroying Gandalf's staff because that doesn't happen in the book. And I'm like, and, and they were saying, oh, Gandalf would like easily be able to take out the Witch King. And I'm like, reading the Witch King's dialogue at that point, he and listening to it in the film, he doesn't sound like he's going into like, uh, like a. A, a combat he could like he's just going to lose you know like he says do you not know death when you see it like he seems pretty confident that he can take on Gandalf so I, I like oh. I like what the film does where it does have him yeah. destroy his staff because it's like yeah this guy should be a threat yeah, and he, goes... <laughs> <laughs> he should be dangerous you know? yeah absolutely like... <laughs> yeah so I, I don't yeah. know what the Tolkien fans yeah, so, are wanting yeah, Scaring with the Shire I get why it was cut I get why it was cut because, much like Tom Bombadil, it doesn't really add much to the story of Frodo and the Wood and the Ring, which is I think the, the main reason why they cut a lot of things from the book. Is like if it's not got anything to do with Frodo and the Ring, let's leave it. Yeah, um, it's I I understand the purpose of it from the story's perspective is that it, it shows that even the Shire is affected by the war. Like, it, it kind of touches on the idea that, like, nowhere on Middle-earth yes. was safe. And, um, yeah, I, I I completely agree with the film not having it, because at this point, the movie was already full of stuff anyway. And, um, and it would have been such a It's got, downer. like, five endings. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been such a downer. Like, you know, they get back to the Shire and it's just like, it's fucked. And you just go, oh, so what was the point of anything then? <laughs> you know, why Why did we even bother? We might as well have just got on the boat at the start and just sailed off. 
Like, yeah. you know, like, it just, yeah, no, so I, I like the idea that they, in the film, they protected the Shire. The Shire is, like, the one, the one part of Middle-earth that wasn't, um, badly harmed, mm. you know. Um, I, I like that. I I, 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 I like it in the book, but I also like how the film did it, and I think most fans agree. I've, I've not seen many Tolkien yeah, fans that, really that's annoyed that's how I about feel that about... Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about the books and the films. I like, I like both. I like how both handle things. It's hmm. Some, a lot of cases, I prefer how the film did things, but there are things I like in the book, even if I do like how the film handled it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, th- um, I think, I think that and... having having a whole extra segment at the end after the final battle would have messed with the structure of the film too much. It doesn't really work. Yeah. In, in a, no, in, it, in no, a film what, story that, structure, exactly. like to just tag exactly. on the whole extra climax after the like after the um <laughs> the teeny mob has already started yeah i'd love to i'd love to see like a fan film or like a an animated film or something that covers it because it is a good little it's a good little chapter um because it kind of shows mm. them shocked at the shire being destroyed and there's various hobbits who have like turned into like asshole scumbags and there's like the ruffian uh, human guys who've kind of taken over, and uh, and then of course it turns out that it was it was Saruman all along. Um, so that that's all fun, and I love the the depiction of Saruman at that point is that he's he's not the grand wizard old anymore. He's more like a kind of like um, like a shabby old man, you know, with his long beard, and and he's in like a kind of a kind of crummy cloak, you know, and, and he's he's fallen from grace at this point. And uh, so yeah, I'd love to see like a, like illustrations of it. You know, if, if anyone wants to, if anyone who has more talent than me, if you, you know, if you wait another ten years, if you wait another ten years, Warner Brothers might come back and make a whole trilogy out of that chapter. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so, no, no. Sadly, that it's not about trilogies anymore. It'll be a TV series of about twenty episodes. <laughs> And uh, we'll meet every single yeah. goddamn hobbit that was ever named in the books. Uh, every single one that's named at the although, party will we'll have a, have their all, own backstory. Oh, flashback we episodes. Could get, we could get a video game telling the Scouring of the Shire made by the people who made Lord of the Rings Gollum. <laughs> I, 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 I fully support that studio just making several hundred more Lord of the Rings games until the end of time. I just want to see what they would do. All of them have to be the same quality as Gollum. Because, uh, yeah, I want to see their take on... <laughs> they on, could make a Tom Bombadil yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Tom Bombadil. You, all the fans, <laughs> you all wanted him? Well, here he is. <laughs> just the worst thing form. you've ever seen. <laughs> In <pog> form. <laughs> Oh god, yeah. Um, okay, so as we've touched upon go. earlier, there was a 1980s animated TV movie version of Return of the King, oh, produced by Rankin Bass, which was not. It was not a sequel to the Ralph Bashki film. There was a sequel to their Hobbit movie. Yeah, it's got yeah. a great song in it that Ewan has been singing. There's loads of great songs in it. It's a, it's a, it's a musical. The whole thing is done as a. Uh, it's actually done with a framing device, so it starts off at Bilbo's birthday after the events of Lord of the Rings, and they have like a, a bard come in and he starts singing 
the story of of Frodo, and uh, and so the whole film is a, is a musical, and that's Frodo why of there's the Nine Fingers. Frodo of the Nine Fingers, which which does happen in the book. I, I checked that that there is a song sung about him as Frodo of the Nine Fingers, and um, yeah, no. So I, I I was like, all right, yeah, I'm happy to have the story told in this way. Um, and yeah, and that, that, that results at yeah, one point I'm, in, 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 in the orc singing of it, the song. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think because when you take consider like, so Peter Jackson's Return of the King is three to four hours long, depending on if you're watching the theatrical cut or the extended cut. So this animated version tries to tell the same story in about half the time, in about an hour and a half, <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't work yeah, well, very well. Like. It, well, it, it, it's a weird one because it kind of was made as a weird non, but also yes, sequel to the Ralph Bakshi film, which did cover Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers. Um, but yeah, obviously it was uh, a different company that actually made it. But then I, I I know that when they screened it, they actually did screen the Ralph Bakshi film and, and this one back to back. Um, so it is, yeah. It's it's weird. It, it's mm. it's different. But I'm I I I enjoyed it. I I, like, yeah. I think it's it's a weird thing where it only really makes sense if you're a Tolkien fan. It doesn't it doesn't really work as its own film. Like you you, you, you have to have knowledge. context for what's yeah. going. I think it's got a w- yeah yeah yeah. The one thing I remember at the is I think obviously there's the bit where um the Witch King comes on and sounds like Skeletor. From um, which is we've spoken about in previous Bluecast episodes. Yeah, yeah. Come not between the Nazgul and his prey. That's about. <laughs> that's my impression, as I remember. Yeah. And yeah. as about and that was his about prey. <laughs> and then and his prey. Yeah. Oh my and there's God! A really did weird, I pray? There's a weird bit at the ending. I think the, the I think before Frodo goes away, get um, Gandalf makes this weird implication. He looks at Pippin. He's like. Pippin's growing taller, and as so then, hobbits are going to grow taller, and then maybe you, maybe we all have a bit of hobbit in us. So it's basically implying that hobbits evolve into humans. Um, that's not completely out of what Tolkien was intending. That there's a reason why it's called Middle Earth. Um. Yeah, no, that 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 is a, that was that was definitely a thing back then. It's kind of not really talked about now, but definitely in the seventies and eighties, there was a general belief that Lord of the Rings was kind of set in a kind of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away kind of idea, where it's like, you know, it, it's obviously not what the Earth was several millennia ago. But what if? Speaking of adaptations, we did get the PS2 game of Return of the King, which is based on the movie. So it's mechanically similar to the Two Towers game, but you get more playable characters. You can, as, so in the Two Towers game, you could only play as Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. Hmm. You could still play as them in Return of the King, but you also get to play as um, Gandalf, Frodo, and Sam. And then you unlock Merry Pippin and Faramir when you complete the game. The hmm. levels are quite big; they're a lot bigger, and you get two-player co-op, which wasn't in the Fellowship game. Uh, for the most part, it's a fun time, but the one level I cannot stand, as I mentioned earlier, was the <laughs> Pelennor Fields level. Right. So you play, so you play as Aragorn, Legolas, or Gimli, and yeah. most of the level revolves you around 
so you most of you're running between two cliffs, um, taking down elephants before they reach Erwin or Merry. If they reach Erwin or Merry, like game over, you got to start again. Uh, and in okay. between the elephants, the Witch King comes comes down, and you have to shoot arrows at his fell beast until he flies off. And the level right. only ends once you've depleted his health bar. Yeah. Um, but however, like the side the elephants spawn on is completely random. I think after right. the, after the first two are set are on set sides. Then after that, it's completely random. So like sometimes they could all be on one side, or sometimes it could be on completely different sides. And I think sometimes there's even instances where an elephant, where the witch king can come in before you've taken out an elephant, and it can get get. So it's just completely random, relies entirely on luck. But aside from that, just level, had a boss right, fight with I, the I witch king. Safely say. Because I remember the the Shelob fight. Oh, was but really one cool. cool thing about the witch, the yeah, one thing that was really cool though is, um, I think because this game was made while the movie was in production, is when you beat the level, you have a cutscene of Eowyn fighting the Witch King, and the Witch King yeah. has his original helmet because I think they reshot shot it with a different helmet. Oh, so, that's interesting. So yeah, that's why I'll he looks to, different. Need to in check that out. Well, then the the actually the 1980 yeah, animated think, film. Uh, captured exactly how he's described, where it says that uh, he's he's like basically he doesn't have a head really. It's like it's just these two glowing red eyes and a crown. So it's a kind of creepy, you know. He he's like again like a spirit, you know. He he's more like a specter at this point. Um, so the animated film actually does capture that really well, mm. that original depiction of him. But I I like the oh, with nice. the. With the films, they went for uh, this kind of cool, like metal thing, but not just with him, but with Sauron as well, and like all of them so have this sick. kind of like, yeah. So it's it's awesome. So I I yeah. have no complaints about how they did the Witch King, and I, and I, Sauron. Like I think they, they... yeah. Exactly. I, I keep yes. I keep looking at the Witch King's yeah, helmet and thinking, so cool. and thinking he looks very Dark Souls, but like obviously it's the other way around. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I get the vibe that... Yeah, so, um, I mean, obviously uh, with Elden Ring, yeah, but like I think Dark Souls and Demon Souls were heavily in Oh, yeah, without a Lord doubt. Of the Rings. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You can see it everywhere. Yeah, so, <laughs> so one great thing is um, with the game is you get some interviews with cast of the movie talking about the game. Because I think that's one of the great things about the game is you get a lot of the actors from the movie doing voices of the characters. But the, the highlight of these is a segment called Hobbits on Gaming, which has Elijah Wood, Dominic McGonaghan, and Billy Boyd all talking about video games. And like, I think they're all unanimously talking like, like, yeah, Elijah's the best gamer of all of us. But my favourite <laughs> bit is um, Dom completely throwing Billy Boyd under the bus, saying, "Oh yeah, Billy's awful. He's like the worst player of games of all time. <laughs> We're playing a two-player game. I'll say Billy, press X, and Billy's like, hang on, hang on, which one's X?" And like me and my siblings have been saying, hang on, which one's X for years? And then I think my sister didn't know where it came from. Then we put that on one day and she was like, oh, that's where that comes from. Billy's getting better, but he's not great. Billy is awful. One of the worst game players of all time. I think I do have uh, a special gift for gaming. You'll be playing a two-player game and you'll go, Billy, press X. And he'll be like, hang on a minute, hey, wait, which one's X? But I just haven't really opened that gift yet. I can totally see Elijah Wood being a, a gamer. Um, he, was, he was Spyro he... at one point as well, wasn't he? He was the voice yeah. of Spyro. Yeah. And of course, Elijah Wood, um, 
is open to wearing wigs, apparently. Do you wear wigs? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, wait, what? What? He, he, do you wear wigs? Yeah, what? Do you wear wigs? Uh, <laughs> he has a he has a wig. <laughs> have you not seen this, Ewan? No, I haven't. I don't know what this oh, is. Oh, there's this um have you not seen the prank interview? So there's this prank interview that um Dominic McGonaghan did with Elijah Webber. He's pretending to be a German like um journalist and right, uh, right. there's like no, Elijah couldn't see him because he was in that another country and then he's asking all these weird questions like, you know this movie you were in? Um did, did you know the dolphin from this movie is dead? He was in a car accident. And of course, the, the most famous bit is he asks Elijah if he wears wigs. He's like, Do right. you wear wigs? Have you worn wigs? Will you wear wigs? <laughs> you wear wigs? And then Elijah just loses it because he goes, When will you wear wigs? Oh, wow. In the photo shoots you do with uh, Vogue magazine and Cosmopolitan and uh, Entertainment Weekly Time magazine, your, your hair changes dramatically. Uh, from short to long. Do you wear wigs? Uh, no, I do not. Have you worn wigs? No, I have not. Will you wear wigs? Maybe. When will you wear wigs? <laughs> okay, so to wrap up, um, so who's our, I guess, favourite character and favourite moment from the movie? Well, my, my favourite character is obviously, uh, yeah, Gorebag, uh, or Shagrat, whichever one it is who says that, the, the two orcs that are bickering like an old married couple in uh, in the tower when they're fighting Hands over off the, the shiny uh, shirt! That's mine! That's mine! <laughs> Let's go to the great eye, as well as everything else, you know. Uh, I like that their, yeah, their no, stupid fight that. takes up the entire fortress, basically. Yeah, yeah, and that happens in the book. <laughs> it's, it's just nuts. Um, Apparently, orcs just hate each each other that much that they do just wipe out an entire fortress of themselves. Just through some <laughs> stupid argument. Which is quite, yeah. Which is which is fun because yeah. Then Sam just turns up and he's like, "Oh, all right." Well, I guess I can just Great. pick off the stragglers. Yeah, yeah. And he's going, Argh! and they like see him, and he's like a little little tiny guy. <laughs> That's for yeah, Frodo. That that's for the Shire, and that's for my old gaffer. Um, that's yeah, my so, uh, old gaffer. Yeah, it's so sweet. They're scared uh, at first, and then they see him, and they're like, "Oh no, we can take him!" And then, like he, then he just murders them, mows his way <laughs> through the entire thing. That's for Frodo. I think, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say what I said earlier. My, my favourite scene was the bit when uh, he he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Because it's like, dun, 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 dun. It's so great. The music's amazing, and it's just a great scene. And, uh, yeah, my favourite characters are those two orcs uh, that murder the entire tower. And I love <laughs> Shelob as well. I'm going to give a little shout-out to my, my spider queen. Um... So that's me. Yeah. Okay, so Samwise Gamgee's obviously my favourite character. Like, I just think he's got such a good arc. It's just like he could have turned back whenever at any point, but he just kept going. Like, he's the best Hobbit of them all, and hmm. 
yeah, she's such a great character. It's, but it's really hard. So favorite moment uh, like obviously I've, I've said I love the Battle of the Black Gate. It's like such a great battle with all like the thematic weight behind it. But I've got to love Sam just storming Seraphungal to save Frodo, and yeah, just uh, so much other like the the whole um, the scene with Pippin singing. Uh, it's so great, and uh, it's so hard to pick. And also uh, the lighting of the beacons, and of course the bits we ending yeah. is such a yeah. great. It's a good four-hour film to choose from in terms of moments. I feel like a couple of my uh, my favorite characters changed throughout the series. Hmm. Um. So, like, uh, in Two Towers, I really liked Treebeard. Um, oh, amazing! And <laughs> Gimli, especially. Hmm. And. Uh, well, they've always been the same character. They're yeah, the I, same I, character. I did, I did eventually notice that. <laughs> hmm. um, and I liked this one orc in Two Towers who had a really distinctive face. He looked like the kind of people I used to get as regulars <laughs> when I worked at Weatherspoons. There was just something about him. Seen orc? He, he's, he's the one with the long hair. Oh, like like, uh, like like towards the start when Merry and Pippin are um, like with the orcs. Is he like the one who goes? What oh, is it? Yeah. What do you smell? Is he, he, he like that guy? He, he kind of turns his head from side to side a lot, and he has long hair. Oh, is this the guy who's like? Um, I, I, uh, I think... when he says, "What about their legs? They don't need those." Uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that's he's the like, guy. I think. Yeah. Oh, they look tasty. And then he and then he follows them into the forest. I don't know. Yeah, he's like great. That. My favourite's in Return of the King. I'm. I, I liked Theoden a lot. I liked his final speech. Hmm. And uh, the, the whole trio of uh, Gollum, Sam, and Frodo. I think this is the film where their story was the most interesting. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like Gollum, well, it's, it's in, Gollum in particular is such a like. Oh yeah. Gollum in particular is such a like iconic role that even I, I as someone who'd not really seen any of the films, would reference like my precious. Yeah. Like it was an instantly iconic role that everyone knew about, even if they hadn't seen the films. Yeah. <laughs> like really brilliant performance that like uh, did like revolutionised how like mocap and animation animated characters were done. Yeah, no, it, it was extraordinary. Um, and it's so funny that Andy Serkis has just spent the rest of his life in yeah. cap, apparently. I, 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 even even <laughs> even outside of even outside of films, he's animated now. I think I've only seen it in a handful of things as like just him, just a guy. Yeah, yeah, it's weird when you see him. Oh, Batman normal. was one of them. Yeah, he was in. Yeah, um, he was in Andor, and Andor. He was, yeah, was, he was in Black Panther. Yeah. He was in... Yeah, oh wow. And he was in Alex Ryder's Stormbreaker. Oh shit, of course he was. <laughs> huh. He gets around actually, doesn't he? Maybe, maybe we're being a little unfair oh, saying yeah. he only does mocap, because that is actually quite a few things. <laughs> His most iconic roles uh, are mocap. Him and uh, uh, the other one was... Um, well, King Kong and um, and Caesar in the Planet of the Apes mm. films. Uh, 
Uh, and he was also Captain Haddock in Tintin. In the <laughs> Tintin film. Uh, so yeah, no, he's done a fair, fair amount of mocap. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, it, there's, there's, there's this fun idea that he's he's never left mocap ever since Gollum. I, I think the scene uh, towards the end where Frodo has just fallen off the edge with Gollum and is thinking about following the ring into the lava, but uh, Sam convinces him mm. not to not to give up, and that and yeah. that that moment of letting go of the ring is mm. what finally. Is when it finally sinks into the lava and is destroyed. Yeah, it's such a great touch, isn't it? Is that's this, this that's a really powerful that... scene, I think. Like it's it's it still survives yeah. as long as it has a hold over them. Don't you let go. Don't let go. Thank you for sticking with us for another year of Bleepcast. Like, obviously, we've had a lot of changes this year. Like, obviously, we've had a whole new co-host. Like, thank you, Joe, for coming along. Yeah, and helping out. of course. And of course, we've been cutting down like the amount of episodes we do. We've done, done like less episodes, but I still think I'm still proud of all the episodes we've done this year. They've all been really fun to record. This one is no exception. So, yeah, Joe, when we come back next year, 2024, what are we going to be talking about? Uh, we're going to be covering something that I, is particularly close to my heart. I'm, I'm sure it's also very close to yours and a lot of other people around our age. Um, the first series of the revived Doctor Who under Christopher Eccleston. Uh, back in 2005, it came, it came onto BBC One on Saturday nights and rocked my world. <laughs> We're going to be looking at that first series. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's, it's such a... Weirdly... Mm, yeah. uh, I kind of controversial now for a host of reasons. Uh, n- none of it Christopher Eccleston's fault, luckily, um, or Billy Piper. So, but no, it, it'll be very, it'll be a great discussion. I think I can already imagine there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, of um, course, because I mean, I mean, yeah, I've recently got back into Doctor Who thanks to the the man himself, Russell T Davis, coming back as a showrunner, and like his new specials have aired recently. So yeah, I'm excited, excited to revisit where it all began yeah i'm excited to jump on that zeitgeist and drive some engagement <laughs> with the with Woo! the with the social media algorithms <laughs> okay so until next time the blue cast bids you farewell and a merry christmas <laughs> and a happy new year bye bye yes the dwarves that go swimming with little hairy women. <laughs> <laughs>